All right, all right. Welcome once again to our uh, weekly chapter chats in the book of Acts. We are this week in Acts the 14th chapter. And um, right before I hit the record button, uh, Jason said not to uh, jinx this by uh, commenting on the fact that this chapter is a little bit shorter uh, and that maybe that might mean a little bit shorter uh, of a recording, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You know, we got to be consistent if nothing else. Uh, of, course, of course. We're staring at a 28 verse uh, chapter right now, uh, and if if we talk a lot about it, that's that's all right. And uh, we've I've been appreciative of folks that have uh, listened to us. You know, through the trials and the trenches of these long episodes, but. I've just enjoyed talking about uh, Luke's, you know, essentially the sequel to uh, the gospel, and so uh, you ready to talk about Acts 14? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. All right, so we are here discussing the uh, the missionary the first missionary journey of uh, Paul and Barnabas, is how we usually just kind of describe uh, this particular event. And, uh, of course, that got kicked off in the 13th chapter. And we noticed uh, their work in Antioch of Pisidia, and that, of course, was greeted with uh, lots of enthusiasm, uh, so much so that they were invited to, to you know, come back the following week and do even more teaching. And, uh, and they do. However, there is this rabble, so to speak. There is this uh, contingent of the Jews who are inciting folks. They are causing problems, and the result is... They kind of kind of essentially run Paul and Barnabas out of town. Paul and Barnabas do at the end of chapter 13. They shake off the dust from their feet, kind of you know, making it clear, all right, we're not going to stick around where we're not wanted anyway. Uh, this is what Jesus instructed his, his people to do uh, if they were greeted with this kind of, uh, of reaction. And so now, all right, we're going we're gonna to head to the next place and um, see what awaits us there. Um, they're going to head to Iconium. Verse 51 of the previous chapter says, and they went to Iconium. And that's about an 80 or 90 mile trip. I remember uh, kind of making a note of that uh, at, at some point. And I do want to make a note about the distance from a couple of these other places that they're going to be heading to uh, because I want to make a point about uh, kind of the, the fact that they're traveling that far and who else is following them as well. Exactly. Um, not to mention the, the method of travel. Yes. Um, yeah, would not be hopping in a car and driving an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, it would be walking or riding slower animals. Yes. Um, especially if there's any kind of group that's going together. Right. And if they're even if they're in, you know some of the places of course we know that they they took by ship places where they needed to do that again we're not on like motorboats or uh, things that are going to be able to get us there in record time this is actually you know kind of a lengthy trip uh, I think I remember at some point maybe hearing somebody say that maybe this first preaching journey and we probably are talking like a year or so if not a little yeah. bit more um, and you know I you know like I know brethren that go overseas. Uh, for preaching trips, and they'll be gone for, you know, like my dad goes uh, routinely to South America and the Philippines and places like that, and he'll be gone for a couple weeks at a time, and that's, you know, when you got a family, it's it's like, man, it's a long time to be away from, from them. Um, Thinking about this, you know, being being gone from your from your family for, for those stretches of time, of course, as far as we know, Paul wasn't married and not entirely sure about, about Barnabas, uh, but they would have still had family members and, and friends and people they would have cared about. Uh, 
But that just shows their level of devotion to this cause, to spreading the, the good news of the gospel. Might help clear up a little bit of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 um, about how it was better for him to remain unmarried Yeah, uh, for those very reasons. Yeah, there's great sacrifices that go along with doing this kind of work. And, that, you know, Luke doesn't talk about that. It's just kind of, we, we got to kind of read between the lines to know that those were the kinds of things that uh, these guys are dealing with. Not to mention... Just the difficulties that they are encountering. It's not we're going to some new place and, oh, everybody just loves what we have to, to say. Uh, they're going to run into some tough times. And in this chapter, Paul's going to essentially be killed. <laughs> Pretty I, much. I, I, I think we actually, I, 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 may, I may kind of make some comments that it's possible he may have actually been dead. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. So let's yeah. read verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Paul's custom. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, how does the New American Standard render that? Uh, spoke in such a way, su in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both the Jews and the Greeks. All right. I, I, I just want to make a quick point about this from, from kind of the, uh, the standpoint of a preacher. Um, this is the ideal kind of approach that a preacher wants to, to, to make in his preaching to where I'm able to preach and speak in such a way that I'm able to address and reach everyone in the room. You know, there is the challenge sometimes, if you're preaching on specific subjects, maybe if you're preaching on something that is designed to be especially helpful for, say, young people, well, you don't want to preach that to the exclusion of all of the other people in the room who are not young people. And so the best preachers are going to be those that are able to speak some things to everybody in the room. I realize that somebody will be quick to say, well, if you're preaching the truth, it is for everybody. And it is. I get that. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, it's, it's like preaching to a room where you know you've got Christians and also non-Christians in the room. Um, I want to be able to reach all of those folks and have the same uh, level of effectiveness across the room. If I'm preaching about you know marriage things and say I'm preaching this particular Sunday on headships, I'm preaching to, to men, to husbands, well, I don't want to say that to the exclusion of the women. I need to say some things. And like I said, the best preachers are going to be those that are able to do what they did here, spoke in such a way that Jews and Greeks, you know, two segments of people that could not have been more different, uh, we're going to reach all of them and have maximum uh, effect on, on the whole. I think it also shows that it's the, the powers in the Word. Yes. Um, you know, because it's they spoke in such a way. It's not they performed miracles in such a way that yeah. they were able to do this. But it, it was the words. And I think that's that's the power we have right now, too. Yes. Um, and it's, it's the gospel. And if we're using the gospel... Um, the way it is intended to be used, I think that we'll get some of the same results. Um, so we, so we got, you know, we got this, we got this great number, that, and these are folks that are, that become believers. You know, these are folks who end up, you know, essentially, you know, the, the use of the word "believe" there, I think, seems to indicate these are people who became Christians as a result of of what they heard. Right. Um, verse two, by contrast, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. And they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Does New America Standard use the word poison? Embittered them. Embittered. Well, stirred up the minds and embittered them. Yeah. Poison's just a, just I love that. a strong word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that is that, that that probably is a good description of what's happening. They poisoned the minds uh, of these brothers, and a lot of this is going to end up coming to a head here in the very next chapter when we get to chapter fifteen. Um, 
But think of the kinds of things that they would have said to to poison the minds of these brothers. And let's make clear, you know, Luke makes by using the word brothers, these are folks who are Christians, yeah. and um, but these Jews who did not believe stir them up, you know, maybe saying things along the lines of, "Well, you're not you're 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 not really right with God yet because you've not you know you've not been circumcised, you've not." You know, if, if some of these other things, maybe things pertaining to the foods and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, those are the kinds of things that would be very discouraging. Um, and, you know, it does poison because it's not it's not truth. It's, mm. it's not what God's requirement is. Anytime we're adding something uh, to what God has, has said, it may be a good way to just start talking about that is that's poison. That's and and when we share that and spout that to others and we cause them to, you know, potentially I don't know some of these folks maybe started to doubt their salvation as a result of that. Uh, that's exactly what that is. Is it's it's poison. It's deadly. It is, and it's a direct contrast to what you know Paul and Barnabas were bringing. They were trying to bring life, a message of hope, of comfort, of strength. And yeah, um, when you have this opposition that is deliberately trying to do this and it wasn't like they were just having this debate and some people that's you know they came across as oh okay this is is what the truth is no it was they were intentionally the those unbelieving jews were trying to do this yeah and trying to be a stumbling block yeah that's it, it there are times i know in my own life where i probably do say things or i'll by my actions i do something that unintentionally you know, does, you know, poison, if you want to use that word, but it does, it causes a hindrance, it causes a discouragement in others. Uh, that's a far cry different from what's going on here. We've got people intentionally uh, trying to subvert uh, the work of God. Um, verse 3, so they, and I think this is just referring to Paul and Barnabas still, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Um, probably just ought to make mention here uh, to kind of help us when we think about the New Testament as a whole. These churches here, um, like the church or the, the Christians here in Iconium and these some of these other towns that they're going to go to later, um, this is who the book of Galatians was sent to. Right. This is who this was for. Um, the book of Galatians wasn't sent to just a specific church. Uh, it was to the churches of, of, of Galatia, of this region. And it was to address problems exactly like this, <laughs> where you had Judaizing folks that were causing uh, causing some problems. Uh, it does help us when you look at Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 5, I believe it is. Let's see if I can pull that up here. Galatians 3 and verse 5. Um, yeah, when Paul says... Um, he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing or by hearing with faith? Um, that's Paul referencing what they had done right here in Acts chapter 14 uh, and in verse 3, that they had done these signs and wonders that were done uh, by their hands. And then Paul, when he writes the Galatian letter, he reminds them of, you know, well, well how was that done? What, what, what was the, what was the you know, who, who was it that caused that and where did that come from? Um but we do here see, once again, the working together of miracles and the Word of God. Uh, and I think that's really, really well bore out in this verse in particular. The Word of His grace 
coupled with signs and wonders done by their hands. I think another connection there, how he, he does mention the, the word of his grace here, Galatians 1, verse 6. Very good. Talking about, you know, called by the grace of, of Christ, and they were deserting that. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like a callback to, no, you, you remember what I did here? It was yep. like, that was the very thing that I was talking about. Yep. Um, this is good. And actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this a couple other times before this chapter is over. I want to connect some things to other passages, even some other things we've already studied in Acts. And mm. uh, this is a neat chapter to do this with because there are so many things we're able to pull everything and tie it all tie it all together. Um, yeah. Verse 4, uh, even though Paul and Barnabas are, are kind of working here, probably you know the fact that it says that they remained for a long time uh, probably is an indication that they saw that th- this was going to be a continued problem with the Judaizers. And so, mm-hmm. all right, we can't just kind of come in, say the good news, and go on to the next place. No, we're going to have to still be kind of on the ground a little longer here, uh, putting forth, you know, we're going to be doing... Probably just as much defending uh, yeah. as anything. Maybe that should help us with how we approach teaching people the gospel. Because I think sometimes we have this idea of all we got to do is just make sure we make them a Christian, you know, dunk them in the water, get them mm-hmm. baptized, and then I'm going to move on to the next person. Um, you know, we need to spend some time with people. Yeah. You know, we need to, some instruction. We need to, to be helpful. Um, sometimes I think it's it's like, okay, well, now you're a Christian, so you're all set. You're ready to go. Good luck. Yeah, that's uh, not quite how it works. Yeah, there's a, I've said this before, um, maybe even in these, these chats, but there is more in the New Testament about living as a Christian than there is in the New Testament about becoming a Christian. Right. And that ought to speak to us for a number of different reasons, but one of those is the one that you just mentioned. Yeah, all right, I want to help get folks converted to where they become a Christian. But, of course, the process of conversion is is more than just the moment we get them in the water. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing, it's a continual thing, and and that does require continued effort on everybody's part. Um, You're right. And there may be some people that may be, you know, just kind of adapt quicker, pick it up quicker, yeah. and and kind of hit the ground running themselves. Um, people that are kind of more self starters, uh, and they maybe don't need as much you know hand holding or uh, you know kind of carrying them along. Um, generally speaking, though, uh, lots of folks do. Yeah, uh, especially because we have people who do try to poison the minds, yeah. you know, and, and that sort of thing, especially if they come out of a background that's completely opposed to, you know, this system. They're going to have family members that are going to come in and do the poisoning or past other, you know, relations or friends that are going to be doing that poisoning that these Jews are doing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so they're sticking around. Verse 4, though. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Now, uh, I want to say something here about the use of this word apostles. Mm. Yeah. Because we might read that and we might think, oh, well, does this mean Barnabas was an apostle? In the sense of, of you know, like the 12? Um, and I'm going to argue no. Um, I don't think that means he wasn't an apostle. I do think he was an apostle. Mm. Because the word apostle just simply means messenger or one sent. And in this sense... Well, that's what he was. He was one that had been sent by the church back in Antioch, and Paul was as well. Uh, Now, Paul probably carried kind of 
the extra special meaning of, of apostle in the sense that uh, the Lord had ordained him to be an apostle in kind of, you know, if we want to kind of differentiate, capital A, apostle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but that term apostle is actually found and it is used to describe other people. Barnabas is yeah. described as an apostle. Um, there's... Um, uh, there's there's, uh, there's a handful of others I'm, I'm just not calling them to mind immediately. I think James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, is one who's called an apostle. The, the word, the Greek word that is used there, is actually used to describe a lot of different people. Uh, Titus is referred to as an apostle. Um, there's even a woman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is it Junius or. Uh, yeah, the I think that's right. Uh, it, it, the word, it's the same word. Now, translations, most translations don't use the word apostle when they translate it. But if you were looking at the Greek, it's that same word that is sometimes translated apostle. Other times it's just the word, you know, messenger yeah. uh, or someone who has been sent. And uh, so in that sense, th that is exactly what, what Barnabas was. Um, of course, when we're talking about capital A apostle, um, we have to be talking about somebody who met those qualifications that Peter made reference to back in chapter one. You know, we've been with Jesus, you know, since the beginning of his of his work. We saw the resurrected Lord. Um, Barnabas, I don't know that he ever met that criteria. Um, right, and I think we see so many you know specific things. So we had the original twelve, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, plus Matthias, and there was a very specific way that right. they went about selecting him. Um, and, and Jesus was directly involved in that process, too, because they asked him to be, yep. um, even though he was already risen at that point. And, and then Paul, uh, you know, specifically yep. his own. Um, and, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, he makes the point, I was born out of due season. It's like, you know, I was born way too late to actually be an apostle, but Jesus did it anyway. It. Yeah. yeah. And so that wasn't a common thing. It's not like yeah. we need to have a continual, you know, re revisiting of bringing more apostles in. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's there's not the idea of, you know, apostolic succession uh, as is right. still practiced in some mainstream uh, churches today. Yeah. Um, but there were, you know, there's a sense in which, I mean, we can even say ourselves, you know, if I go out and I'm teaching and preaching the word, especially if, if, if the congregation, the church that I'm a part of, if they send me out to do that work, there's a sense in which I can say, yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah. You know, in the generic sense. In the same way that we can consider ourselves angels because we are messengers. That's what yes. that means. Yes. I mean, and that's that's what it is. And so uh, it's just how we look at, at the words. Yes. And sometimes I think that if if we don't read Greek, uh, I know I don't. Right. And so, um, you know, seeing what, what that looked like and, and what the words actually meant and, and how they were used at the time that they were written. Um, yeah, I, I think we have our own little system in our heads, though, and, and so if if we see anything like this that seems to indicate, whoa, were there other apostles? Yeah. It shakes us up a little bit, so it we does. do have to give it some thought. It's kind of like, it's maybe the parallel, or a parallel would be like the word elder. Mm. You know, I, if I say the word elder, uh, if I'm in a conversation with you just in general, we probably immediately think of shepherds in a local church. Yeah. But in the Bible, the word elder had lots of different meanings. Yeah. Sometimes elder just meant an older man. Um, sometimes we've, I think we've even seen some in Acts where the word elders are used, and it's describing these men who had like a special function in Judaism. Right. Um, so, of course, the context needs to determine, you know, how those words are being used, and um, it needs to then dictate how we then use those words. Um, 
So, in kind of the generic sense, yes, uh, Barnabas is an apostle here uh, along with Paul, and Paul is an apostle in a more specific sense as well. Um, I don't want to bury the lead, though, because the first part of the verse <laughs> says that, that we've got a divided city. Uh, we've got folks that are kind of on, on, on one side of, of this equation, and uh, folks are on the other side. And uh, I don't know, just it's, it's interesting to make that point, considering the state of affairs in our world uh, <laughs> here in recent weeks. Uh, there's a lot of division in our world. Um, and it's not necessarily over religious things, although really at the heart of it, 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 it is spiritual problems that's causing the division. Right, true. Um, but there is this divide, and um, and so there's a, there's kind of a there's kind of this mixed bag of, of, of a response. Verse five: When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it. And they fled to Lystra and to Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Um, so we're not, we're not told exactly how they, uh, Paul and Barnabas, learn of uh, kind of this effort being made to, to to harm them. Later on in the Book of Acts, there'll be kind of similar scenes like this, where I know there's the one story where uh, there's the young man who uh, learns of a plot to do harm to Paul, and, and the yeah. word gets back to him through that person. So whether this was, maybe the Lord was the one who, you know, made it known that, you know, you're in trouble, and so now it's time to pack up and go. Uh, whatever the case was, they saw that it was prudent to avoid this danger because they still had work to do. Yeah. Now, let me do something I really don't want to do, and that is let me, let me pull that principle out and let me apply that to what's been going on in our world over the last few months with the thoughts about COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Because there are some, and there are even some who are Christians, who have kind of just snuffed their nose at all of that. And I don't really care. And the thought that, well, even if it is deadly and it's a real disease and I get it, well, if I die, well, hey, I get to go to heaven and that'll be great for me. And maybe it will. I would hope so. Um, however, to then somehow think or to say that others who choose to, to exercise some wisdom and some caution, that somehow that demonstrates a lack of you know, faith, on, on, on their part, um, I think really just flies in the face of passages like these. Mm. You know, here are some guys who a very clear danger to their lives was made known to them. And I do realize that being threatened to be killed with stones is different than an invisible disease that we can't see floating in the air. Um, having said that, here's Paul and Barnabas. And this is just one example. There's lots of examples of this in the New Testament. There's examples of Jesus doing this. Yeah, like sure. he hears several the, times. Several times he realizes there's danger afoot, and so he slips out of town. Why? Because there's work still to do, mm -hmm. and um, his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come, and, and I think it's safe to say that here with Paul and Barnabas, their time had not yet come. You know. Um, the Lord will be the final determiner of all of that. You know, there is that 
appointed date with death that Hebrews 9.27 talks about. And uh, I'm well, I'm well uh, willing to just step back and I'll let the Lord be the one who decides when that's going to be. Uh, in the meantime, uh, biblically, the Lord is very pro-life. You know, we talk about that as it pertains to uh, the subject of abortion and the unborn, and that is absolutely true. Um, but the Lord is pro-life for as long as you're alive, I believe, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that, especially for Christians and God's people, is because He wants people to be able to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and carry out the work of the kingdom so that we can win others to Him. If Christians just start dropping like flies because of COVID-19 or but whatever else it may be, well, who's going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I think this is a good place to, to just kind of point that out. Like I said, it, it may kind of is a, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a real side point. It's a fringe point, but I don't know. This is a good place to make that point. I think it is. And, you know, you think about how Paul wrestles with that. You know, like, yeah. He, he, he Book says, of yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm just struggling. I, I want to depart and be with the Lord because that would be far greater, obviously. It, obviously. But, you know, we have that caveat of, I know it's useful for you, for me to be here. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> which raises the question, are we living a useful life that's actually good for anybody around us? Yeah. Because sure, yeah, if, if we're just a knot on the, on the log and sitting here not really doing anything to advance the cause of Christ. Give me COVID-19 then. Right, yeah. exactly. I'm just going to sit here and wait for heaven. That's not at all what Jesus is. Like you said, New Testament is all about what we need to be doing as Christians yep. after. Yeah. We have a lot of work to be doing. Yeah. And if we're not doing that, if if we can logically entertain the thought of, well, I'm not doing anybody any good. I might as well die. Well, we're not doing what we need to do. Yeah. There's always something we can do. Um, there's so. that there's that there's that proverb that says the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the um, I forget the last half of it, but the foolish just kind of oh, yeah. blunder right into it. And I, I don't want to be on the second half of that equation. I want to be someone who is wise and and discerning. And again, it's not so much about uh, like I'm afraid to die, and so that's the reason I'm doing this. No, I, I, I'm settled in my in my spirit and in my soul. Whenever that time comes, uh, it's more about there, there's still work for me to do. And, and again, God's pro-life, and so all right, I want to be about the business of preserving life. But it's fun to play the martyr, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of time we, we think, man, I can, I can really look brave because I'm standing up to this, and I, I, I'm going to prove my faith by you know standing in front of this firing squad. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you have the chance to get out. Get you know, out. If, if you can claim your Roman citizenship to avoid being beaten, do it. Yes. You know, <laughs> I don't think... And, and if you just look at Paul's life as a case study, you'll see that. He, he doesn't put himself in unnecessary danger. Yeah, there's, there's all these moments. I mean, he's got like a laundry list of near-death experiences. And the reason uh, in many of those instances that, that we describe them now as near-death experiences is because he took action to get out or the Lord helped him to get out. Yeah. Um, because again, there was there was still work to be done, and that was the case here. There was still work to be done. Um, you know, you, you don't see reckless abandon. There's exactly, exactly. Uh, there's work to be done. You know, not just here in Iconium. So okay, well, we got other places we can go to. There's a bunch of other spots on the map that haven't been hit yet. So <laughs> let's go to some of those places. So there's mention there in verse six of of Lystra and Derby. Um, Lystra is about twenty miles from Iconium. Mm. Derby's about another fifty miles. Now. 
The reason I'm pointing out the distance of those places from Iconium is because here in just a few minutes, we're going to have people from Iconium <laughs> that are going to come to where they are yeah. because that's how perturbed they are by what they're doing. Think about that. You've got people that are willing to walk 70 miles in some instances uh, to just get to these guys that they had already ran off. You know, yeah. the, it, apparently it wasn't enough that we just want them out of our town. No, we want this stopped, and that probably really ought to to kind of heighten our 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 thinking about um, the opposition that the early Christians were facing. You know, these Jews were not just uh, passively opposed to what was going on. No, they were aggressively opposed. That they were willing to go to great lengths in order to stamp it out. Yeah, I mean, how would you feel if uh, you know you your your church or whatever brought in a new preacher, and he he'd come from like a two hour drive away, and uh, when he came and and was preaching and stuff, there were people from that city who drove over to like you know they're not just gonna let it go, but they're gonna try to run him out of that town too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, what did we do here? And who, yeah. What kind of guy did we we hire? But to ha- to see so much hate for someone, um, you know. <laughs> How many people would we, you know, personally drive, even drive, thirty minutes to try and you know disrupt what they're doing? You know, as long as they're not around me, it's you know it's whatever. No, these people had a deep, yeah, deep hatred. Yeah. Um, well, let's we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a moment. Let's let's pick up then verse. Well, anything else on first seven verses? No, that's good. okay. Verse eight then. Um, now at Lystra. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. We might say he's a lame man. Mm. I'm saying that because <laughs> this has some echoes of Acts chapter 30. Very much. He cannot use his feet. He was, let me see this, he was crippled from birth. Mm. Sounds familiar. Deja vu here. He had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him... Sounds again a lot like Acts chapter 3. And seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, I do think this is kind of intentional writing on Luke's part um, to kind of shadow um, what did take place in Acts chapter 3. Um, and, and there are all those little things that I just, those little notes that I just kind of emphasized. It's almost identical to the episode with the lame man in Acts chapter 3 that had been brought to the temple and was there day by day and was begging. And uh, he'd been crippled from birth. He'd never been able to walk. Um, Peter, of course, is the apostle at that moment who's doing the speaking. And there's the looking intently, same kind of language that's used again. And then there is the the miracle of this man being being able to walk. And... um, and then, of course, continue on. Verse 11 says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, well, Paul's right there, but th- there is this great response by the people. And that was the same response that happened with when Peter did uh, the miracle that he did back in Acts chapter 3. I, I think there's probably, probably a couple reasons for this. Um, one, maybe, is just to kind of show to the reader, if they've not picked up yet, that Paul... Is kind of on on par with Peter, yeah. You know, if if it wasn't evident already in some of the things that we've seen in Paul's character 
Uh, this was kind of a way to show that, that if you remember what you've read from chapter 3, oh, okay, he's, he's, he's like that guy. And we've yeah. seen what an authoritative figure Peter was. Paul has risen to that level. Probably the more important thing, uh, secondly, would be just to show that the work of the gospel is continuing on, even now with like a fresh set of faces. Yeah. You know, in the previous instance, it was Peter and John. Well, here it's Paul and Barnabas. It's a new set of guys, but it's God still continuing his work uh, through, through, through different people. It wasn't just the work of just one guy or a couple of guys that caused you know, Christianity to spread. You know, God's using all these different folks, and uh, it's going to continue on. Uh, the, the, you know, the gospel chariot's going to keep on rolling. Um, yeah, and that's it. the message is consistent. I mean, we see sort of the same things. A lot of times it feels like when we read through, it's like, man, this is kind of a repeat of what we've already read because the message is the same. It's yeah. the same God behind it. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the point here. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to me how many times in verse 8 you could say the same thing about, you know, <laughs> just one of those descriptive words about, you know, he was lame from birth. Okay, well, I get the picture. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, but but no, he can't walk you get that and his feet have no strength in them i mean it's like any of those descriptive terms would be fine this is a doctor that is writing this yeah that, <laughs> that might explain this uh, a little bit. yeah he, he he is being very descriptive but it is it's it's helping to stress the point um and um yeah, the, the work continues. Now, I kind of left off, before reading it, the response of, of these people. Mm. Notice verse 11 says that these people, you know, in response to the miracle, they, they're saying this in, in Lyconian. And, and I think that's Luke telling us that this was a, a local dialect, obviously. And I think it's probably cluing us in that Paul and Barnabas did not speak this language. Right. Meaning, they didn't know what these people were saying. Right. Well, what were those people saying? Well, verse 11 continues on. They were saying, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Hmm. Now, I'm going to guess if, if Paul and Barnabas understood what they were saying, I mean, they would have jumped in immediately and cut it off. But they don't jump in immediately and cut it off because, again, they, they, they don't know what's going on yet. It's, it's not until some of the visual things start to happen that I think they start to process what's taking place here. I kind of picture Paul and Barnabas seeing the, the, the joyful, exuberant, enthusiastic response of these people, and they're just, you know, I don't know what they're saying, but yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, this seems like yeah. it's pretty good. It's I, I was on a Zoom uh, study with... Uh, a, a bunch of Spanish-speaking brethren. I was asked to teach a class uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I, of course, had to have a guy, one of the brothers, translate for me as I was teaching. But at the end of the class, they then go around to each brother, and they then want to just kind of say some follow-up comments about the study, or just say thank you or whatever to 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 to, to the man who who did the teaching. And I'm just sitting there with just a, a grin on my face the whole time, like. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like I'm just assuming they're saying nice things yeah, and being yeah. really good. For all I know, they were they were probably saying, "Look at this redheaded doofus. <laughs> Why did we invite him here?" Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's kind of what I picture Paul and Barnabas uh, here. Uh, verse twelve. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes. Of course, these are a couple of. of if you've ever studied uh, Greek and Roman mythology, you probably already know some stuff about uh, these these gods. Um, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker, yeah. uh, the guy doing the main talking. Verse 13, And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen 
and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. I think this is right here what finally signals Paul and Barnabas that, oh, hold on, whoa, hold on, this is not... <laughs> Yeah. This is, okay, we're glad you're happy, but this is not correct. This is not the right response. We're fixing to set up, you know, we're going to start sacrificing, you know, uh, making sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. We have essentially deified them. Um, and that's when verse 14 says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments, and they rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? Now, before you actually, before I finish looking at the duration of this little miniature sermon that Paul gives here, uh, a couple things. One, think about how this stands in stark contrast to what we noticed at the end of Acts chapter 12 and the story of Herod. You know, the story of Herod, people were deifying him. Oh, what a great orator. It's as if, it's as if the gods have spoken through, through Herod all oh, and people praise him. And what did Herod do? Well, Herod said, yeah, give it to me. That's right. Keep on. Put, put, put it all on me. Uh, and God struck him dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think this is kind of placed in the gospel here, or not placed in the gospel, placed in Acts intentionally to kind of counteract that. This is Luke's way of saying, no. When, when Christians, when God's people, when they are you know, praised beyond what they should be, and when they're placed up on a pedestal like this where they're being deified... No, Christians stop that. We do everything that we can to get people to, to, to not do that anymore. Uh, and Paul and Barnabas are taking kind of some extreme uh, steps. I mean, literally, you know, we're running into the middle of the crowd, rushing into the crowd, <laughs> crying, out, whoa, 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 stop, 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 no, 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 no more, no more. Put, put that down, put that cow down. You know, <laughs> yeah. stop building that altar. Um, stopping it uh, on the spot. Um, this little sermon, it's only like a three-verse sermon that, that Paul gives here um, is kind of like a bite-sized version of his sermon that he's going to preach in Acts 17 when he comes to the yeah. city of Athens. Right. Uh, it, it seems like he kind of kind of just builds off the same concepts, uh, observes the natural world, and wants to kind of you know speak of things that they understand. Let's build off of that, um, which... I don't know, it's a great lesson in and of itself about being willing and able to adapt on the fly, you know, for an audience mm. and, or for whoever you're, you're teaching. Um, you know, if Paul would have jumped in here and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me talk to you all about Exodus chapter whatever, the chapter <laughs> that talks about them building a golden calf. And let me talk to you about the, you know, why it's wrong to, you know, try to make God in, in some other image than what he really is. That really would not have resonated with these folks, I don't think. Right. If he would have launched into you know a, a discussion of Isaiah chapter fifty three, which is a great chapter to to study and preach from, but for this moment, that's just not really what these people needed. Um, he needed to talk to them about uh, you know again just some things they could connect with to understand a fundamental, basic principle. Uh, before he could then kind of talk to them further and build off of uh, the miracle that had taken place just a few moments prior. Yeah, and that's an important thing to consider. You know, knowing your audience, knowing where they are, and it's obvious by you know the scenario of what's happening, where their mind is, and, yeah. and where they are with that, um, and being able to to give them what they need from that. I, I think that this this helps us to see too that um, you know we understand Paul and Barnabas were led by the Spirit. 
But did that mean that they had full knowledge of everything that was happening and God directed every single step? Uh, doesn't seem like it because if yeah. that was the case, they would have been able to understand at the beginning. Yeah, they did. They, the Spirit didn't give them insight into that. Right. And so, um, you know, sometimes we think well, I can never do what what they did. Well, you know, it, it looks like we could. Yeah. You know, um, they 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 had some you know special gifts and that sort of thing. But uh, when it came down to it, they were using the knowledge that you know they had discovered that they had found. That, God had given them, um, to make a, a call and determination of how to handle situations. And that's what we do. Yeah. You know? Um, we, we might not be in a position where people are, you know, worshiping us, but, um, sometimes do we accept too much credit for things that we do? Uh, is it possible that, that we can, we can give people too much credit? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, sometimes I hear someone who, who delivers a good message, really good lesson, good sermon, whatever, uh, and it's just like, man, they're so good. But it's like, hold on a minute. You know, God is so good. He's yeah. the one that you know gave the source material, um, and you couldn't do anything if it wasn't for the Lord. We can, in our own, you know, way, deify people. Um, what You know, again, there's a place for praise. There's a place for you know, encouragement and those sorts of things. But um, but there's a fine line uh, between that and reaching the point where, you know, we've essentially made someone a god. We've turned a human being into an idol, uh, so to speak. And um, that's what Paul and Barnabas are, are wanting to stop immediately. So let's look at this little short mini-sermon that Paul tells, verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Um, this just like I said, really seems a lot like the, the sermon he'll flesh out a little bit more in Acts chapter 17 where, you know, look, it, it's, it, this stuff that you see, these materials and things, this is not God. Even, even us, the people... I mean, we're just people. We're just men, and we're just like you. You know, look, we've we've got skin just like you do. We bleed just like you do, and uh, have all of the same things and faculties that that you do. We're, we we are created just like you were created, and all this other stuff is created by the living God. Turn away from this vain stuff to this living God. That there is one source, a Creator of all of the stuff that you see. And I even think kind of the mention here of uh, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, that might have even kind of be kind of a reference to uh, the, the way that the different gods in Greek and Roman culture were thought of. You know, uh, here was the god of, of, of the sea or the ocean. Here's the god of the sky. Here's the god of the forest. Um, look, all, all of that stuff all comes from, again, just, just one source. Uh, and so even if there was... Even if these other so-called gods, even if they did exist, they all still are subservient to the one, true, the living God. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. I love the way that Paul just points again to the to the natural world as kind of being exhibit A for uh, the evidence of God. I mean, there's lots of evidences for for God, for the one true God, 
But a great place to start is to look at our natural world and look at the fact that God does good for all people. You know, even rotten people who don't deserve it. Uh, mm. Even those of us that consider ourselves good people, we don't even deserve it either. Um, but God's goodness being showered upon uh, all people, um, that ought to cause us to go kind of looking for, all right, where is the source of all this good stuff in my life? That food that I had on my uh, table yesterday and these clothes I'm wearing and this house that I live in, you know, is, is this all just from me or is there something beyond me and greater than me that uh, these things came from? And uh, that's kind of the direction Paul's pushing them in. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because a lot of times today you'll hear arguments against God saying, well, if there's a good God, how can there be evil in the world? Mm. Well, you know, when we think about it, if if the world is evil, then how can there be any good at all? And, and why is there good? Where did that come from? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's just an interesting approach. And I, I like that Paul uses that here. Makes sense? Well, um, the response, verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. So, um, all right, so maybe you had some folks who, who got it. Uh, but evidently there were still some people who, okay, well, thanks for that, but we're going to keep doing this anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and we're not told what the follow-up is to that, you know, as to whether Paul just, you know, did a complete facepalm or uh, my guess is, all right, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to talk about this a little bit more, obviously. For, I don't know how much to say about this, but it seems like from outside sources, that there was a tradition going on uh, in that city that uh, you know years ago there was this this elderly couple uh, I can't remember Bossus and Philemon might be the names anyways yes um, they were uh, they, they, there were two guys wandering around uh, who happened to be Jupiter and Mercury uh, those gods and they were looking for a place to stay but this elderly couple was the only one who offered them hospitality out of like a thousand people or something and uh, they were rewarded because they granted hospitality to these gods in disguise and it just became part of their cultures and part of their stories and so now maybe potentially that's what was going on here is like well I want to be like those people you know, I don't want to miss it again yeah. um, and so might explain why they were so dead set on offering worship to them and there's probably for, for even some of these folks there's the thought of um, you know well d d don't tell me not to do this good thing yeah. because what they're, what they're doing they think it's a really good thing you know yeah. it's a, a sacrifice is a good thing you know and um, it's like, uh, I don't know if I've said it before on here or not, but there was an elderly sister in a church years ago who, um, I was preaching in a meeting and near the end of the week, she gave me a card and it had a nice little note written in it, but then it had a hundred dollar bill in it. And on Friday night, when I came back to services for the final night of the meeting, I, I, I brought the money to her and I said, sister, I, I can't take this. I said, look, the church is going to give me, I assume a check. For, for coming here and preaching this week. And I was like, I, I can't take this. And she her response was, she said, she said, honey, please don't steal my blessing. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, for me to give that back would be kind of robbing her of the blessing of, of getting to give and to do a good thing for someone else. And so maybe there was some of that going on with these folks. Like, right. okay, thanks for the info, but man, we really need to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And, but there is. There clearly still is, you know, the, the weaving in of superstition and, and things of that nature in their in their thinking. Um, and so I'm going to guess Paul would have been ready to kind of help. All right, well, let's, let's, let's work on that a little bit more. We need to, yeah. you know, kind of expound upon that and talk about that a little bit more. But, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Again, we got folks who have traveled a long distance. From Antioch? Yes, even further. <laughs> yeah. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, a couple things. Um, one, when we read here about Paul being stoned, I wonder how much went through Paul's mind about the fact that at the end of Acts chapter 7, he was there holding the garments Mm-hmm. while men stone Stephen. And now here he is on the receiving end of that very same thing. you know. And, and, and I don't think that was lost on him because at least a couple other times in Paul's writings, he makes mention about how he was stoned. Um, and, and so that's just kind of a thing that I just wonder if that was just always something that was fresh on his mind and, and reminded him of, of, of his past. Not necessarily that he got, you know, hung up on the past or always had, you know, guilt about that, but it was just a constant reminder to him of, of you know, what he once was and what he became. Um, they then drag him out of the city. It's, it's possible, um, my understanding is, is that it actually was illegal to stone a Roman citizen. And Paul, of course, was, did have Roman citizenship. And so maybe the idea of, okay, if we take him outside the city, well, then, then it's not an issue anymore. So maybe that's kind of working in, in, in the mention of that. Um, but then when it says that they suppose that he was dead, um, I'm not going to discount the possibility that he maybe did die. Um, I mean, the text doesn't say that, I, I, and I want to be careful about that. Especially when verse 20 says that the disciples gathered about him, that he then rose up. I don't know. There's just something about the language of that that kind of indicates to me, you know, when it says the disciples gathered about him, it makes me wonder, well, so were these Christians maybe like standing around Paul and like praying for him? And even though Luke doesn't say that, probably Luke, if he were here right now, would say, well, duh, of course they were praying because what have I showed you all throughout the book of Acts? Right. They prayed all the time. Um and but but the language of, of he rose up I don't know that just that that just seems like it's possible that maybe he was actually dead and as these brethren prayed for him that the Lord miraculously brought him back to life I, I think that's a possibility if I'm going to walk 120 miles to kill somebody I'm going to make sure they're dead <laughs> yeah you know yeah. <laughs> like they're putting a lot of effort into this yeah um, I, I don't think we should take that lightly. You know, I, I think that there's a, a lot of a lot of reason to believe that. But you know, you know, Luke doesn't paint some kind of dramatic picture. Yeah. Uh, it's just like here's the facts. Here's what it looked like. And, yeah. and I mean, to us, to see somebody risen from the dead, like our immediate thought would be like, well, it must not have been dead. Um, and so it, it was. I don't think he wants us to dwell on that too long. Yeah. Right. Which is it is is just so fascinating with me because I don't know if. If it was me, I'd, I'd like I'd tell everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I died. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah, we don't see that. Well, so it it it, it is of great interest to me though that 
And this is this is probably even another reason why I think maybe he either he died or maybe even um, you know the wounds from being in critically near to death um, maybe were even just miraculously healed because it then says. Then he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derby. <laughs> yeah. You know? How? There's nothing here about like, you know, how he, you know, convalesced and, and healed up for a, a, a week or two before going on his way limpingly. Uh, right. No, just got up next day and just went on to the next city. <laughs> yeah, uh, that does not make medical sense. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, this is where I would wish Luke would give more, you know, doctor detail uh, yeah. than he does. It, it's interesting how uh, at the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians, I think it's uh, chapter 6, verse 17, maybe. Um, yeah, he, he mentions, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if that is referring to some of the scars and things, yeah. maybe even potentially from what they would have witnessed yeah. right there, you know, on top of everything else yeah. that he... I think so. Had. I think so. I think he may be, again, he's calling to mind... Because these would have been the same people to whom that Galatian letter was written, and we've already noticed some of these other uh, connections to the Galatian letter, and yeah, um, that's happening here. Um, yeah. So they head on to the next uh, town to Derby. Well, one second, I, I forgot it. to mention this. You know, at verse eighteen, they the people were still trying to offer sacrifices to him. Very next verse, nineteen. They've turned on him and they kill. <laughs> you know, like it's just it changes that quick. It's you know, that speaks to maybe for one just the fickle nature of of people. Mm. Um, secondly, it it speaks obviously to the power of persuasion yeah. because it says that these you know these additional Jews have 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 come down and they persuaded the crowds. So we've already had some. Um, who had been doing some some poisoning earlier on in Iconium, and I guess we've got a lot of those same ones kind of coming down now, and uh, they're doing more poisoning. And um, don't trust popularity. <laughs> yeah, this is the nature it's, of this. Uh, here's tie this again to kind of some current events too. This is also just the nature of 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 crowds and yeah. mobs. Yeah, people do things that. I don't think they normally would do if they were not in a group and there weren't lots of other people doing it. Um, you know, there's just there's 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 power in in peer pressure and that kind of persuasion. And uh, that is, you're right though. It is kind of a, a switch gets flipped on these folks, and uh, now they're actually you know, part of the stoning that's taking place. Um, but Paul survives. <laughs> lives to tell the tale. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city, to Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So now we're kind of, you know, we're now kind of making the U. If you were charting all this on a map, now we're kind of going to turn and head back in that same direction. But instead of just passing by all those places without stopping, hey, it's been some time, you know, it's been some, some weeks or months or more uh, for some of these stops. Let's let's see the progress and see let's see what's going on and let's also verse twenty two strengthen the souls of those disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith, um, which goes back to one of the points we talked about earlier on about uh, that Christianity is more than just the the hear believe repent confess be baptized it's then all the other stuff that comes after that and so here's Paul and Barnabas all right we played a role in in helping people become Christians 
but now we're going to keep playing a role in this encouraging and strengthening and building up and edifying and uh, the last part of verse 22 saying to them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and already at this point in his life and and in this in this preaching journey you know Paul and Barnabas were able to say that with some authority yeah. you're going to have to go through some tough stuff to, to, to remain in the kingdom of God and it's just part of it it's just part of the package deal you know and, and this is not some new revelation that you know, all Christians figured that out all of a sudden no Jesus said that yeah. um, you know when he talked about you know counting the cost and those sorts of things um, that's all because yeah it, there's going to be some difficulties there's going to be some cross-bearing and uh, problems that come as a result of, of following him and truly being truly being a disciple yeah, if a uh, slave is not greater than his master. You yeah. know, if, if they persecute Jesus and they did that to him, we should not expect anything less. Yeah. Um, if we're doing it the right way, I mean, if we're following him. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, tying back to what we were saying about verses 6 and 7, about how uh, they they fled these areas, they, they ran away, um, you know, and that, that wasn't a knock against them. It was just they were preserving themselves. But... They turn around after being essentially killed in a city. Paul goes right back. Yeah, yeah. It's like he wasn't scared to go back. You know, it. He wasn't. I don't think it wasn't like, "Well, come at me now." Yeah. Um. But it was more of, you know, there's still people there that need help. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe it was unwise for me to stick around right now. Yeah. Um, Let some time pass, some weeks, some months have passed. Yeah. And so I think that that shows what our attitude should be. Yeah. Uh, You know, we we don't let things scare us, but we don't just sit there and take the flogging. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the the, the being wise part that, okay, um, is there there, there a, a, a wiser time to come? Is there a wiser way to come? You know, but for all we know, maybe they... They they came you know very secretly into those cities yeah, you know for right. all we know um, yeah. Jesus did that yeah <laughs> so there was the, the the passing of 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 the time to allow some of the emotions and things to 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 settle down um, so yeah there's there's lots of those uh, things that have to be taken into account but they saw the necessity of continuing to encourage those brothers and sisters in those places um, verse twenty three. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is pretty astounding. Hmm. Um, We have, on the first kind of pass through these places, we have what it would seem to me is the establishment of these churches. Iconium, Derby, Lystra, etc. And now, a few weeks, a few months later, we're passing through them again, and now we're appointing elders in those churches. Yeah. I could be reading that wrong, but that seems like pretty quick. That is quick. Um, now, a lot of that probably would have consisted of if you had, um, if you had people who were Christians who had been Jews prior to this. These are people who had been living godly lives, seeking to live according to God, and had been developing their families, raising their children in the right way. And so you probably kind of had some guys who, upon their conversion, were probably 
pretty much just about ready. You know, maybe they needed some better understanding about some things about the new covenant of Christ, but, you know, once you kind of get them over the hump of that stuff, you got some guys who are just kind of prepackaged, ready to be elders. And that's how I kind of explain that, at least in my own mind, as to how you have these guys. You know, because a lot of times if you think about, you know, establishing a new congregation in a new town somewhere, well, we think, all right, well, it's probably going to be a while, probably going to be, you know, 20, 30 years before we have elders. That way you've got time to, you know, develop and grow guys and get them to that point and uh, have them to be ready to carry out that work. Um, that wasn't the case here, though. Yeah. Uh, and also we see, we're seeing a couple things. One, we're seeing God's design for the church kind of coming into clearer view here in the book of Acts, and that is local church leadership. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see um, apostolic oversight and leadership now going to start give way uh, to local shepherds, local elders uh, overseeing the works going on in those places. It's still kind of phasing. Uh, there's still we're still going to see apostles being involved in uh, the things that are going on in these churches, but uh, this is kind of that transition period that's happening here in the life of the of the early church. Um, yeah, a, a few things with that. You know, the qualifications for elders, you know, we read of that a couple times. Paul writes about that. Um, he does mention not a novice mm-hmm. or new convert. Uh, and so it's like, well, how, how do these guys? Well, because the God of the Old Testament was the same God as yeah. the New Testament. I, I, and I mean, we have a lot of similar characteristics. And, and you, there's a difference in knowing how to be godly uh, and living your life in a godly way up until that point, and then just getting the rest of the story and the rest of the knowledge that you need. Yeah. As opposed to someone who has comes off never... the street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's important to notice. But also, you know, like you were saying, the the pattern for what the church should look like. You appointed elders in every church. It wasn't like we had one elder over a group of churches right. or several elders over a region or area of churches uh, or even a single elder in each church. Right. Um, but it, it seems like there, there was each one had to have, you know, good, solid leadership. Yeah. Um, as they would need. Yeah. Yeah. The plurality of elders is noted here, uh, and that's the note that is sounded again and again throughout the remainder of Scripture is elders. Um, notice this, the seriousness with which that uh, appointment uh, carried with it, that it says that that was done with prayer and with fasting. Um, that um, Did we talk about this maybe in one of the previous um, chapters about, you know, fasting is one of those things that when we see it in the New Testament, uh, at least in, especially like in the book of Acts forward, um, it, it's done to accompany, you know, important decisions that have to be made. And, um, you know, when we're seeking God's will and his, 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 his favor in, in the things that we're trying to do, um, fasting would help to kind of, all right, that's whatever I'm fasting from, whether it's food or whatever else, that's one less thing that my mind is occupied with so that I can be focused on this, be devoted to prayer. Um, and that's the way that they treated the appointment of, of, of elders. Um, we, we can't just say that this was a Jewish custom because these were Gentile cities yeah. um, who were, were doing a very uh, non-Jewish thing. Yeah. You know, putting elders in charge of, of the church. Yeah. And, and so 
God, I think that, that that helps us to to clear that up. There's value in, in fasting beyond just again. It's easy to just say, well, that was a custom of the Jews at the time. Well, clearly, clearly it was a custom that others adopted and yeah. and found that there was that there was something to that. Um, this last little section here, uh, verses 24 through 28, um, it kind of just speaks of their return back, finishing up this trip. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia. Of course, that was the place where they had shook their shook the dust off before they left. <laughs> yeah. Came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Now we're back at home base, verse twenty-seven. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time. With the disciples, and so there is the, the 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 retelling of of the events that had taken place while they were on this this trip. Again, if they were gone for a year or more, would have been a lot to tell. There would have been a lot of probably a lot of hopefully a lot of eagerness and anxiousness about the report of the work that they had done in these places. Um, and still, we still do this today a lot. Um, you know. Brothers go overseas, and especially if a church helps to support that brother and go in those places, you know we'll have you know a, a slideshow or video or or maybe just the guy just telling us about all the things that they did. And I don't know how you feel when you've sat through those kinds of reports before, but I don't know. I I love them. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it, sure. there's I'm kind of on the edge of my seat. I mean, there's been some of those I've sat through where when it was over, I look at the clock and oh man. We've been here an hour and a half listening to him, but it didn't seem like it. Yeah, because they're just again there was that excitement over hearing you know how God's work can be done in other parts of the world, and um, it, you know the setting looks different and the people talk a little bit different, but it's still the same thing. It's it's yeah. this it's the same message, uh, has the same result. Some people accept it, some people reject it, uh, and there's the stories that go along with all of that, but. Um, this is the this is kind of the if you're looking for authority, well, why do preachers why do we have those guys come in and do that? Well, here's here's your here's your authority for why we do that. Yeah, and that's it's really impressive to see that they in all of this and all the amazing things that they suffered and the amazing things that they did, it wasn't about them and yeah. it wasn't about uh, you know how successful they were. It was what the Lord had done. Yeah, and that's how they refer to it. Uh, you know the the words you use matter. Uh, you know, instead of saying, uh, look at all the people I've taught, you know, well, how about look at what God has done? Look at yeah. the people that God has been able to reach. The language of verse 27 in, in the ESV is all that God had done with them. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the idea of like, we were just these tools and God used these tools to accomplish this stuff. Uh, and now we're just going to you know tell you about all of that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love let's see there's a uh, several people from Zimbabwe that uh, I'm acquainted with and I see occasionally, well, more than occasionally, so a lot. Um, they'll post pictures of, you know, people that they've converted, people mm-hmm. that you know have obeyed the gospel, people they're they're preaching to and that sort of thing and and just knowing the the kind of what we would consider in America to be substandard living situations. Um, but yet seeing the hearts of people being turned to the Lord. And that, mm-hmm. that's just such an amazing thing. And I, I think sometimes the the tendency is to get jealous of those types of situations. It's like, well, why can't I do that? Or I, I want to do that. Or, you know, 
Maybe I should do that. But really what we need to think is look at what great things God's doing. His kingdom is growing because of the efforts of these individuals. And and again, it's not the people. The power is in the gospel. Yeah. God's got, if you you think of like all of the people who are Christians that are ready to be used, God's just got this enormous toolbox and he's got all these different instruments at any point that he can utilize uh, to get his get his work done, and um, we've seen that by following the first missionary journey through Acts the fourteen, thirteen, and fourteen. Parting shots on uh, thirteen and fourteen together, or just fourteen before we before we close. I'm just thinking, man. This is this was the first journey, <laughs> and yeah. it was already crazy. Uh, Paul died the first time around. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you might think. I, I don't know that I want to go out again, but he does it at least two more times. Yeah, um, and you know expands it even, um, and so this is just a, a, such a great thing just to see how the church grew even under cert, cert, these circumstances. You know, verse seven, I, I think, to me stands out. They continued to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they were not going to be deterred. Um, you know, no matter what happened, that was what what they were going to do. Um, because that's what God wanted them to do. You know, how much more for us? Um, how much, even in, in the you know, COVID-19 situations and all the other situations that we're in, our focus is spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel. Um, so, you know, putting aside any kind of political alliances or, you know, whatever else that we are trying to align ourselves with, uh, let's use every opportunity to do this, to preach the gospel, to reach people, to show them the Lord in all that we do. Well, these events and the kind of the that statement there at the end of twenty seven about how the door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles, um, that sets the stage for chapter fifteen and the famous Jerusalem conference. And uh, we'll notice that next week, and then kind of the beginning of of the second preaching journey. But there's some drama that happens before before that gets underway. So I'm looking forward to talking about. Chapter 15 next week. Appreciate folks uh, tuning in and listening and studying along with us. And as always, if you've got a comment or a question or uh, you know even a, a disagreement with something that was uh, stated here, or like to study further or uh, can help uh, in some way, we want to be available to do that. You just let us know. Reach out to us through Facebook or uh, whatever other means is available. There's lots of lots of ways to reach us. We're not hiding. We're easy <laughs> to be found. Um, and so uh, thank you for listening, and we look forward to uh, Chapter 15 next week.